السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respect to listeners A few weeks ago I spoke about the I spoke on the topic of humility تواضر And I promised them that I would give specific examples from the life of the Prophet ﷺ of humility. And since the Messenger ﷺ is a shining example for us in everything, he demonstrated, personally and practically demonstrated his own teachings. He commanded us to be humble, And he demonstrated humility of the most sublime manner so that we could adopt his humility, his tawadu and simplicity as an example and follow in his footsteps. All the prophets of Allah والسلام, being the greatest of Allah's creation the most learned, the most noble. All of the prophets of Allah were extremely humble. In fact, humility was one of their core and chief characteristics. Both mental humility, humility of character in speech, in gait, in the way they conducted themselves, the way they carried themselves. And even though all of the Prophets of Allah were blessed with so much, both in religious terms, but even in worldly terms, a number of them were both prophets as well as kings, messengers as well as monarchs. And yet, their power, their military prowess, their wealth, their command and control over so many people's lives, their leadership, people obeying them, following them, adoring them, loving them, none of this had any effect on their character in terms of even a shred of arrogance. They remained humble for the sake of Allah. And remarkably, as I mentioned then, Allah mentions in the Qur'an how the prophets of Allah were so humble 
that right at the moment of their chief glory and power, when any other normal person would succumb to the temptation of shaitan, when any normal person would give in to the whispers of the nafs and regard themselves, consider themselves to be privileged and grand and great, right at the moment of the height of their glory and power, the Prophet ﷺ turned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in humility. And one perfect example of that is the Prophet Yusuf ﷺ. The Prophet Yusuf ﷺ had a tragic and dramatic story during his lifetime, from childhood all the way up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored him with leadership, with de facto rule of Egypt. But he passed through a lot. And he rose from the depths of the well where he was flung. And then eventually sold into slavery. And then flung into prison. He rose from the depths of the well to the heights of power in Egypt ultimately becoming the de facto ruler of the whole of Egypt. On that occasion, when he was a child, he saw a dream, mentioned at the very beginning of Surah Yusuf, of 11, planetary, 11 planets and the, and the sun and the moon prostrating to him. That was a dream he saw in childhood, and its interpretation was fulfilled many, many years later, when he became the de facto ruler of Egypt, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought his father after having restored his sight because he had become blind. He brought his father and mother and his 11 brothers, many of them who had turned against him and were chiefly guilty and responsible for banishing him in the first place. But now Allah has united the whole family. And the father and mother were honored and elevated to the throne of Egypt as Allah mentions in the Qur'an, and the brothers paid homage to him. That was a moment of his glory. Yet, right at that moment, precisely, instead of enjoying the adulation and the power, and instead of glowing in that glory, Yusuf salam turned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and prayed to him saying, O oh Allah, indeed you have given me of kingdom." And you have taught me the meaning and the interpretation of dreams. Father of Samawati wal Ard, O originator of the heavens and the earth, Anta fi dunya wal akhirah. You are my master both in the world and in the hereafter. Tawafani Muslim wa alihikni bisaliheen. Allow me to die and claim me in death as a Muslim and attach me to the pious. So, right at that moment when Yusuf alayhi salam was on the throne of Egypt, just as before him, long ago. Sorry, uh, before him, sorry, after him, will come another ruler on the throne of Egypt, Pharaoh. And how did Pharaoh behave? He denied the very existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He challenged Allah in his authority. He told people, I do not know of any God for you besides myself. That was the effect that monarchy, rule, kingdom had on another human being. But the Prophet of Allah, alayhi salatu wasalam, seated on the throne of Egypt, 
witnessing the spectacle, he turned to Allah in humility. The Prophet Suleiman alayhi salam, he did the same. Suleiman alayhi salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him power, kingdom. I've already explained the story in many occasions in great detail. But once he, to summarize, he marched, he embarked in a procession. And that procession wasn't just a convoy of carriages and horses and camels, nor was it merely an entourage of men. Rather, as Allah mentions in the Qur'an, Yus Suleiman alayhi salam embarked on a procession, marching, accompanied by jinn and ints, armies and hosts of jinn and men, of animals, birds and beasts. And whilst he was marching, an ant, a queen ant, realized his coming, his impending arrival. The queen ant communicated to the colony of ants that quickly enter your holes and burrows, lest Suleiman crushes you with his army, and they don't even realize. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala carried the speech of the ants with the winds that he had made subservient to the command of Suleiman alayhi salam, to the ears of Suleiman alayhi salam. Again, on such an occasion, any normal person would succumb to the temptation and the whispers of the nafs of glory, of power, of arrogance, of pride. But Suleiman alayhi salam, there he is. He sees around him armies of men and jinn, birds and beasts. He is reminded of the elements being made subservient to his command, even the winds. And he is reminded of the great favor of Allah to him and his father, that he taught them the speech of the insects and the birds. Right at that moment, instead of glowing in the warmth of that glory, Suleiman alayhi salam, just like the Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam, turned to Allah in humility. And said, Rabbi awzi'ni an ashkura ni'mataka allati an'amta alayya wa ala walidayya wa an'a'mala salihan tardah wa adkhilni birahmatika fi ibadika salihin that, O my Lord, grant me the ability to be grateful for your favors that you have bestowed upon me and my father and grant me the ability that I may do good deeds with which you shall be pleased and O Allah, O my Lord, enter me amongst your pious servants. Both Suleiman alayhi salam and Yusuf alayhi salam, at the height of their glory and power, turn to Allah in prayer and in humility. Both of these stories are mentioned in the Qur'an. Then, you have the example again in the Qur'an of the Prophet Isa alayhi salam. His example is a bit more intense than that of Suleiman alayhi salam and Yusuf alayhi salam. Allah gave them worldly power. But in terms of the Prophet Isa alayhi salam, although Allah gave him no kingdom of, the, of earth, Allah did give him the kingdom of spirituality. Such that more people follow him and have followed him throughout history than have even followed the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So till date, he has the greatest number of followers. And the Prophet Isa alayhi salam, unlike the other messengers, has been hailed as a god in his own right, a deity, one of the Holy Trinity. 
He is worshipped, besieged and prayed to. And not only that, but he's not just prayed to as a saint or as one of the Trinity and as the Son of God. Rather, he is hailed as God himself, God incarnate. And Allah will question him on the Day of Judgment about this. And clarifying that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala beautifully says in the Qur'an, لَنْ يَسْتَنْكِفَ الْمَسِيحُ أَنْ يَكُونَ عَبْدًا لِلَّهِ وَلَا الْمَلَائِكَةُ الْمُقَرَّبُونَ That never, it's an emphatic negative, never will the Messiah disdain from and turn up his nose at being an abd, a servant and a slave to Allah. And nor will the closest angels. And there we are. The Prophet Isa salam is quite unlike the other messengers. He wasn't just given kingdom or monarchy or wealth and riches and power over the hearts and minds of men. He is hailed as a God himself. As God himself, as God incarnate. And yet, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, specifically using him as an example, that never will the Messiah, Isa ibn Maryam, disdain from and turn up his nose at being a slave and a servant to Allah. And nor will the angels. And then Allah continues, وَمَنْ يَسْتَنْكِفْ عَنْ عِبَادَتِهِ وَيَسْتَكْبِرْ فَسَيَحْشُرُهُمْ إِلَيْهِ جَمِيعًا Whoever disdains from being a servant to Allah, and is arrogant thereof, then Allah will soon amass all of them unto himself. So if the prophets of Allah, والسلام, the likes of Sulaiman and Yusuf, والسلام, who were given the kingdom of the earth, and the like of the prophet Isa, السلام, who, who was and is hailed as God incarnate, God himself, if these messengers of Allah do not turn up their noses, do not disdain, from being slaves and humble servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then who is anyone else? And since the Prophet ﷺ was the greatest of all the messengers, he recognized the obligation of this humility and the need for ubudiyah, meaning servitude, that rank of being a true servant of Allah, he recognized that more than any other Prophet of Allah. And therefore, he was the greatest servant of Allah. In fact, to help us understand the humility of the Prophet ﷺ, think of it this way. Th- ponder and reflect on the humility of the Prophet Yusuf ﷺ, even at the height of his glory. Reflect on the humility of the Prophet Dawood and the Prophet Sulaiman again at the height of, it, of their power and glory. Reflect on the humility which Allah cites as an example in the Quran of the Prophet Isa even though he's worshipped as God incarnate. Reflect on the humility of all of these prophets and then know and think and imagine that the humility of the Prophet Muhammad surpassed the humility of all of these prophets of Allah. That's how humble he was in character. And he reminded his followers again and again. He pleaded with them. In fact, he quoted the very example of the Prophet Isa salam. As Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi relates in his Sahih, from Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anh. 
He says, I heard the Prophet ﷺ say, لا تطروني كما أطرتت النصار ابن مريم فإنما أنا عبده فقولوا عبد الله ورسوله That do not extol me. Do not extol me. As the Nasara, the Nazarenes, have extolled Isa, the son of Maryam. For I am but his servant. Therefore say, Abdullahi wa Rasuluh, the servant of Allah and his messenger. The Prophet ﷺ warned us, Do not elevate me above that rank which Allah has bestowed upon me. Do not extol me like the Nazarenes have extolled Isa ibn Maryam. Always remember that I am only Allah's servant. Therefore you as well, say no more. Say, Abdullah wa Rasulullah. And in fact, the Prophet would use these words before saying the messenger, i.e. He would say Abdullah before he would say Rasul. So before claiming prophethood, before reminding anyone that he was a messenger of Allah, he would remind everyone that he was the servant of Allah first. So it's Abdullah wa Rasul. Always Abdullah wa Rasul. The servant of Allah, the slave of Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the prophets of Allah have always been the most humble of his creation. And every one of them has left an example for us. And for us, a supreme example is that of the Prophet Muhammad Humble and simple in speech, in thought, in character, in conduct, in gait, in, in his choices, in every single thing. And he recognized the obligation of being a true servant of Allah. Just like the other Prophets This is why for the Prophet the greatest rank was of Abudi, of being a servant, of being a slave. And Allah in the Quran when he mentions again the chief glory of the Prophet how does he describe him? When the Prophet ﷺ was given prophethood, he met Jibreel ﷺ in person. Jibreel ﷺ descended to the earth, spoke to the Prophet ﷺ, gave him the Qur'an, conveyed the words of Allah, recited the first words, Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. Speaking of that first meeting, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it was a change, that was a moment of change for mankind. That was a moment of change. That, that was the introduction of Islam. That was the final time when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose to speak to one of his creation to convey his message to the rest of creation. That was a glorious moment. And yet how does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refer to that occasion? He says, speaking of Jibreel alayhi salam, فَأَوْحَى إِلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ مَا أَوْحَى that Jibreel revealed to his servant, or Allah on that occasion, through Jibreel, revealed to his servants what he did reveal. How, what does he call the Prophet ﷺ on that glorious occasion? He calls him again Abd, his servant, his slave. Another moment of glory during the time of the Prophet ﷺ was when Allah Azza wa carried him 
on that miraculous journey of Isra from Makkah to Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, from Al-Masjid Al-Haram to Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, and from Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa to the heavens and back, on that miraculous journey, which during which he led all the prophets of Allah والسلام, in prayer, he met Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was given a tour of the heavens. He was accompanied by Jibreel alayhi salam, who at one stage declined to accompany him further, for that was a spot and a time reserved only for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed upon him such glories, such blessings and favors that he did not bestow upon any other messenger of Allah. That was a height of the Prophet ﷺ's glory in the heavens. And yet, how does Allah refer to that occasion? Does he mention the Prophet ﷺ by name? Does he give him titles? No. Subhanalladhi asra bi abdih. Glorified be that Allah who carried his slave, his servant by night. Throughout the Qur'an, just like these two occasions... When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa inviting mankind, praying to Allah, receiving the revelation, meeting Jibreel, meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, on all of these glorious occasions, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa as Abd, his servant, his slave. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa knew better than anyone else the rank of ubudiyah, of servitude, of simplicity, of being a slave and a servant to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even though he knew his rank, the Prophet knew exactly what Allah had bestowed upon him. And he would tell people at times. But he was balanced. He would remind people of who he was, of the rank that Allah had given him, but at the same time, he would remind people that he was a slave and a servant of Allah and warn them that do not elevate me, do not extol me, do not lavish praise on me beyond the rank that Allah has bestowed on me. Otherwise he told us exactly who he was. To just give one example, Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu anhu relates in a hadith recorded by Ibn Majah in his sunan and by others that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, I am the leader of all the children of Adam, and that is no boast. And I will be the first person that the earth will split open and allow to come out on the day of resurrection. But there is no boast in this. And I shall be the first to intercede and the first one whose intercession shall be accepted. But there is no boast. This is a reference to the day of reckoning when after the resurrection the whole of mankind will be in a state of being greatly perturbed, disturbed, anxious, panic, panicky. Fearful. And their fear and anxiety will know no end. And they will be desperate for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to at least begin the reckoning. The weight will be more painful in their view than the reckoning itself. 
So they will beg. They will be desperate. For the reckoning to begin, they will go to the prophets, one by one. Beginning with the greatest prophets. Each prophet of Allah will say on that occasion, that I am unable to assist you this day. Go to the next prophets, go to the next prophets. Every prophet will remember his lapse, something about him for which he shall be questioned on the day of judgment. And speaking of Isa ibn Maryam alayhim salam, he will be the second last person that the whole of mankind or the representing delegation of mankind will go to. And they will remind Isa ibn Maryam that you are the kalima, the word of Allah, you are his spirits. And you are this, you are this. Intercede on our behalf. And plead with Allah to at least begin the reckoning. Isa ibn Maryam salam on that day will remind people that this day I am concerned. Nafsi, nafsi. I'm concerned for myself, for myself. Why? He will be fearful. He will be apprehensive. He will be concerned about Allah questioning him about him and his mother being worshipped besides Allah. So he, along with all the other prophets before him, will say finally, go to Muhammad, go to the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, for this is his rank and station. And so the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam will be approached. He will then proceed, fall into prostration before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Azzawajal will he himself says that on that occasion, Allah will inspire me and reveal to me such words of praise which I will use to praise him that I yet do not know. Even though the Prophet ﷺ, being Ahmed, the one who praises Allah the most of his creation, even Ahmed ﷺ, did not know in the dunya what words of praise Allah will bestow upon him and inspire him with to praise Allah on the day of judgment. And that actually leads us to the final words of the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu an, in which he says the first thing. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ana sayyidu waladi Adam wa la fakhr. I am the leader of all the children of Adam and there is no boast in this. I am the first that the earth shall split and allow to emerge on the day of resurrection, and there is no boast in this. I am the first to intercede, and the first one whose intercession will be accepted by Allah. And I've just explained that. On the day of resurrection, and there is no boast in this. Then finally, the Prophet ﷺ says, And the banner, the standard of praise, will be in my hands on the day of resurrection, and there is no boast in this. Meaning, the banner of praise, what I've just mentioned, that on the day of resurrection, before mankind can be relieved of its misery, of waiting for the reckoning to begin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will have to be praised in a certain way. And the only one to praise Allah the whole of creation won't praise Allah with that praise. None of the prophets of Allah will praise Allah with that praise. But that praise, even the Prophet ﷺ did not know its words in the dunya. But Allah will bestow 
the banner of that praise and the words of that praise to just one soul on the day of the resurrection. And that will be the Prophet Muhammad And he says, but even in this there is no boast. Considering the rank of the Prophet and then his humility, Prophet knew exactly who he was. And he reminded us of it, adding, wala fakhr, wala fakhr, wala fakhr, wala fakhr, there is no boast. And at the same time warning us that do not extol me, do not elevate me to that rank, beyond that rank which Allah has bestowed upon me. In fact, Anas ibn Malik anhu relates that in a hadith recorded by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, a man came to the Prophet wasallam and said, Ya Muhammad, Ya Sayyidina wabna Sayyidina, Ya Khayrana wabna Khayrina. He said, O oh Muhammad, O oh our master, son of our master, O oh the best one amongst us, son of the best one amongst us. Subhanallah. He didn't deify the Prophet He didn't glorify him. He didn't utter any words of worship. He did not say anything that would pose a challenge to the divinity or the authority of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or his exclusive right to worship. Imagine, what did he say? All he said was, Ya Sayyidina wabna Sayyidina, Ya Khayrina wabna Khayrina. O our master, son of our master, O the best one amongst us, the son of the best one amongst us. These words are and continue, were and are and continue to be said and uttered for everyone. Titles of lavish praise. But how did the Prophet ﷺ respond? The man came and said, O oh, our master, son of our master. O oh, the best one amongst us, son of the best one amongst us. Prophet ﷺ actually addressed the people and said to them, Ya ayyuhannas, O oh, people, Alaykum bitaqwaakum, wala yastahwiyannakum ash-shaytan. O people, adhere to your fear of Allah and your being conscious of Allah. Adhere to your God-wariness. And do not ever let shaitan seize your senses. Wallahi, ma uhibbu an tarfa'uni fawqa manzilati allati anzalani Allahu azza wa jal. Before that he said, Ana abdullah, ana Muhammad ibn abdullah, abdullahi wa rasooluh. وَاللَّهِ مَا أُحِبُّ أَن تَرْفَعُونِي فَوْقَ مَنْزِلَتِي أَلَّتِي أَنْزَلَنِي اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ He said, O oh people, adhere to your God-wariness and do not ever let shaitan seize your senses. I am Muhammad the son of Abdullah, Abdullah the servant of Allah and his messenger. By Allah, I do not wish that you elevate me and raise me above that rank which Allah the Almighty has bestowed upon me. Imagine, all the person said was, Oh, our master, son of our master. Oh, the best one amongst us, son of the best one amongst us. And this was the response of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He said, fear Allah, adhere to your taqwa. And do not let shaitan seize your senses. Allahu Akbar. By Allah, I do not wish. I am, I am who? I am 
Muhammad, the son of Abdullah, mentioned his father's name. Then he added, and all I am is Abdullah, the slave of Allah and his messenger. Wallahi, by Allah, I do not wish that you elevate me above that rank which Allah has bestowed upon me. <coughs> Prophet wasallam knew exactly who he was. But in his humility, whether people accepted that he was a messenger or not, he reminded everyone that he was a slave and a servant of Allah. And he went by his name. He didn't want fancy titles. We learned in the story of Hudaybiyah, that Urut ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi, and the others, when they agreed a truce with the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ summoned Ali radiallahu anhu and said to him, Right. That this is هَذَا مَا قَاضَى عَلَيْهِ مُحَمَّدٌ Rasulullah, that writes that this is what Muhammad, the Messenger of Allah, has agreed. So straight away, Urut ibn Mas'ud objected that no. Before that, it was an objection of Bismillah. Prophet ﷺ accepted. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, he said, we don't recognize Ar-Rahman. He said, right, Bismillah. Then he said, this is what Muhammad this Muhammad, the son of Abdul, Muhammad, the son of Abdullah and Allah's messenger has decreed and agreed. So Urut ibn Mas'ud said, we do not recognize you as a messenger of Allah. If we ever recognize you as a messenger of Allah, we would have never opposed you or fought you. Right, Muhammad, the son of Abdullah, nothing else. So the Prophet wasallam wrote, Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. The Prophet wasallam would not indulge in fancy titles, prefixes and suffixes. Even though he was the greatest of Allah's creation, he sufficed with Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. If someone called him Muhammad, he would never be offended. Bedouin would come. The, the, the companions, radiyallahu anhum, would not refer to him as Muhammad, meaning the ones who were familiar with him. But the Bedouin who came from outside and only met him probably on the first occasion, they would sometimes say, Muhammad, Muhammad. But the Prophet ﷺ was never offended. He did not want titles, he did not expect titles. And he was never offended when nobody gave him titles. In fact, when people gave him titles, he was offended. He was concerned. He reminded the speakers of who he was and what their duty was in addressing him and extolling him and praising him and keeping it within limits. Prophet ﷺ, when he corresponded with Heraclius, the Roman emperor, that letter is sublime in its eloquence and in its simplicity. Despite its simplicity, the greatness of the Prophet ﷺ shines through. This is a letter from the emerging, powerful leader of Arabia, who now sees himself as an equal to Heraclius, the Byzantine Roman Emperor, and he is corresponding with him, inviting him to the way of Allah, and telling him to submit. What are the words of the letter 
بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم من محمد بن عبد الله من محمد بن عبد من محمد عبد الله ورسوله الى هرقل عظيم الروم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم by the name of Allah the gracious the merciful from Muhammad the servant of Allah and his messenger to Heraclius the great one of Rome sublime in its simplicity no titles no prefixes no fancy false claims simply from Muhammad the slave of Allah and his messenger to Heraclius the ruler of Rome that was the simplicity of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and he recognized that and he did not want to be any more he did not want to be a monarch he did not want empire that was never his goal even though allah gave him that choice he could have been like the prophet dawood and the prophet yusuf and the prophet suleiman alaihi wasallam he could have been like that in fact on one occasion prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam says a jinn appeared before me and it kept on disturbing me and allah gave me control and command over it and i thought to myself let me seize it and if i wanted to i could have seized it and tied it to a pillar and you would have seen that jinn tied to the pillar in the morning but i remembered my brother suleiman alayhi salam's dua and prayer to allah and request that allah رَبِّ هَبْ لِي مُلْكًا لَا يَنْبَغِي لِأَحَدٍ مِّنْ بَعْدِي That, O oh my Lord, grant me a kingdom which is not befitting anyone after me. And since the jinn were part of the kingdom of Suleiman alayhi salam, even though the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had that option, he took a step back. And that was the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Today, mashallah, we have many who have claimed a share of the kingdom of Suleiman alayhi salam. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was given the option but he never took it. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahimahullah he relates a hadith in his Musnad from Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu. Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu says the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was once visited by Jibril alayhi salam who sat in front of him. Imagine the scene. Jibril alayhi salam is seated before the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and then suddenly he stares at the heavens. and then he says to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam o messenger of allah here is an angel descending this is an angel who from the moment allah created him has never ever descended before so the angel came and presented himself to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the angel said allah has sent me to you asking you أَفَمَلَكَ النَّبِيَّ نَجْعَلُكَ أَوْ عَبْدًا رَسُولًا That should we make you a king and a prophet or should we make you a slave and a messenger? So Jibreel alayhi salam suddenly interjected and said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam تَوَاضَعْ لِرَبِّكَ يَا مُحَمَّدٍ He said, "O oh Muhammad, submit and be humble to your Lord." So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam turned to the other angel and said to him, "Bil 'abdin rasula." No, no monarch, no king and prophet, rather a messenger and a servant of Allah. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was actually given that choice of being a 
monarch messenger, of being a prophet's king in the tradition of the other Anbiya but voluntarily, in his humbleness, in his humility and simplicity, the Prophet turned down that offer. And not only that, but even Jibreel salam recommended that to him and said to him, O oh Muhammad, tawada'ali rabbik, be humble to your Lord. So the Prophet had the option, and yet he chose to be not a monarch and a messenger, but an abd and rasula, a humble prophet, a messenger, and a slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's how he lived. He lived in the dunya as though, not as though he was a monarch, a wealthy, powerful king, rather as a simple, humble servant of Allah, as an insan. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu says that Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi and others relate this hadith, that once the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum visited him. And he was lying on a straw mat. And the straw mat had left an imprint and marks on the side of the Prophet wasallam's body. Since he was sleeping and resting on the mat without any upper cloth on his torso. <coughs> So when the Sahaba radiallahu came and the Prophet sallallahu rose, they saw the marks and the imprints of the straw mat on the noble body of the Messenger sallallahu And they saw the simple mat on the floor. So they said to him, O Messenger of Allah, if you had signaled to us, then we would have laid out some bedding for you. So that you could have rested on that. And there would not be these imprints on your noble body. What was the Prophet Sallallahu response? He said, مَا لِي وَلِلدُّنْيَا مَا أَنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا إِلَّا كَرَاكِبٍ إِسْتَظَلَّ تَحْتَ شَجَرَ ثُمَّ رَاحَ وَتَرَكَهَا He said, what connection do I have with the dunya and the world? My example and the example of the world, and I am in the world, but like a traveler who rests for shade beneath a tree for a short while, then he rises and leaves once he has rested. So he likened the whole dunya, the whole world, to that brief rest in the shade of a tree before the traveller rises and resumes his journey. So the Prophet said, that is my example. What connection do I have with the dunya? And he said that in response to simple bedding being laid out for him. The Prophet slept humbly. Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had a simple blanket which he would fold as a double blanket in winter and a single blanket in summer. That's how the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam rested. His eating, his resting, his sleep, his traveling, even his riding were all extremely simple. That's how the Prophet ﷺ was in his humility. He chose to be a simple servant and slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not a monarch and not a prophet. And not only that, he would not tolerate others comparing him to the other prophets Imam Bukhari and others all relate a hadith from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anna on one occasion. In the marketplace, a Muslim and a Jew 
exchanged words. So the Muslim said, وَالَّذِي اسْتَفَى مُحَمَّدًا عَلَى الْعَالَمِينَ That by that Allah who raised and elevated Muhammad over, over the rest of mankind, over the worlds. So the Jew, in his reply, he suddenly said, وَالَّذِي اسْتَفَى مُوسَى عَلَى الْعَالَمِينَ That by that Allah who raised Musa and elevated him over the rest of the worlds. So the Muslim slapped. He became angry and indignant and he slapped the Jew. So the Jew went straight to the Prophet ﷺ. And he said to him, that this is what's happened to me. Prophet ﷺ summoned the other Sahabi And then he addressed the people and said to them, O oh people, do not elevate me and declare me to be better than Musa. For on the day of reckoning, when Allah shall resurrect the people, Allah shall first of all floor everyone unconscious, and people shall fall down unconscious. And I will be amongst those who will fall down unconscious. I will be seized. And then, I will be the first one to rise from that state of seizure. This is different to the one in the previous hadith. And when I shall rise and regain consciousness from my seizure, I will see Musa clinging to the arsh. So I do not know whether Allah will resurrect him before me, Allah will allow him to regain consciousness before me, or whether Allah has exempted him from that strike of unconsciousness. And why? Because Musa, the hadith ends there. But the reason is, Musa alayhi salam was struck unconscious in the dunya. Because he said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, أَرِنِي أَنظُرْ That Allah, O oh my Lord, show me yourself so that I can see you. Allah said to him, you will never be able to see me. But rather, glance at that mountain. Then Allah revealed himself, manifested himself to the mountain. And the mountain became dust. And Musa alayhi salam fell down unconscious. So he has already been seized by a bout of unconsciousness. So it is quite possible that Allah has exempted him from the seizure of unconsciousness on the day of judgment because of this bout of unconsciousness in the dunya. In either case, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam explained this virtue of Musa alayhi salam and actually told the people, لَا تُخَيِّرُونِي عَلَى مُوسَى Do not declare me to be better than Musa alayhi salam. Allahu Akbar, such simplicity, such humility. We are unable to tolerate anyone else being praised in our presence. The Prophet ﷺ was unable to tolerate himself being praised in his absence. And he reminded people, he always reminded people that I am a slave of Allah, a human being. Time and time again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, وَاللَّهِ مَا أُحِبُّ أَن تَرْفَعُونِي فَوْقَ مَنْزِلَتِي أَلَّتِي أَنْزَلَنِي اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ In that hadith of the Muslim of Ahmad ibn Hanbal, related by Anasun Malik radiyallahu anhu, that by Allah I do not wish that you elevate me above the rank that Allah has bestowed upon me. What would the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam imagine these words and contrast them with much of what is said 
about the Prophet ﷺ done in his name and supposedly for him. He reminded everyone, just as the Qur'an reminded everyone, that all of the Prophets of Allah are the servants of Allah and they are human beings. قَالَتْ لَهُمْ رُسُلُهُمْ إِنْ نَحْنُ إِلَّا بَشَرٌ مِثْلُكُمْ Their messengers, Allah says in the Qur'an, their messengers said to them, إِنْ نَحْنُ إِلَّا بَشَرٌ مِثْلُكُمْ We are naught, we are naught, but men, humans, just like yourselves. And the Prophet ﷺ was told, قُلْ إِنَّمَا أَنَا بَشَرٌ مِثْلُكُمْ Say, I am only a human just like you. And time and time again, the Prophet ﷺ reminded the Sahaba عنهم, that I am but a human being. I am but a human being. Repeatedly. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud the same Sahabi, he relates that once the Prophet ﷺ was leading people in prayer, in salah, as he always did. The Prophet ﷺ made a mistake in salah. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud himself says either he shortened the prayer or lengthened it, one of the two. So after salah, he performed what we call the two prostrations of error. And then afterwards, he spoke to the people and said to them, O people, I am only a human being. I for- like you, and I forget just like you forget. So if I forget, remind. Imagine he is a messenger of Allah, and yet there is no shame, no embarrassment in constantly declaring that I am but a human being. I forget just like you do. On one occasion, the Prophet ﷺ said, two people visited him. They angered him. Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha was present, but she didn't know what the conversation was. But she was alert and aware that two people came to see him. They spoke to him and then they left. And the Prophet ﷺ actually became angry. He did become angry. And he sent them away. In his anger, he actually spoke words to them. He had words with them. He scolded them, which was very rare. The Prophet ﷺ became angry, scolded them, and told them to leave. They left. So Umm Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha then questioned him. And instantly, no sooner had they left, but the Prophet ﷺ turned to Allah in dua. And do you know what he said? He said, Oh Allah, I am but a human being. I become angry just as humans become angry. So Allah, anyone whom I have cursed, abused or scolded, then make this a mercy and forgiveness for them on the day of judgment. Prophet ﷺ constantly reminded people that he was only a human being. Time and time again, Umm Salama relates a hadith that the Prophet ﷺ said, O people, you come to me with your disputes. And at times it's quite possible that one of you is more eloquent and more forceful in his argument than the other. So I rule in his favor, I actually judge in his favor, based on what I hear. I am but a human. 
So I rule in his favour based on what I hear. So if I have ruled in someone's favour, and he knows that the judgment does not belong to him, especially in a dispute of wealth or property or land, and then he still claims a share of his brother's wealth, based on my judgment, but knowing that he does not deserve it, then let him realise, let him know, that I, in my judgment, by giving him that piece of land or wealth, I am merely giving him a piece of the fire. So he should not take it. What the hadith shows, is that even though the Prophet of Allah wasallam, was a messenger, He reminded us, he reminded his followers that he was a human being. And there was a possibility that people may come to him with a dispute. And in that dispute, someone may be more forceful, more eloquent, more persuasive in their argument. And the Prophet ﷺ, not having knowledge of the unseen, would rule in that person's favour. Even though the right actually belonged to the other person. And that's why in another hadith related by Rubayyir bint Mu'awwidh radiyallahu anha, recorded by Imam Bukhari in his Sahih, it's a very beautiful hadith, she says that on the day of my marriage, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, she was extremely young, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam came to visit the family. And in their rejoicing, in their festivity and celebration of the marriage on that day, she says that some little girls were singing, and they were singing poetry. And as part of their couplets and their poetry, they praised the Prophet ﷺ and they said, وَفِينَا نَبِيٌّ يَعْلَمُ مَا فِي غَدٍ And amongst us there is a Prophet who knows what shall happen tomorrow, who knows what there is tomorrow. So until now the Prophet ﷺ had been listening silently. But as soon as he heard those words, he never said anything. As soon as he heard those words, Prophet ﷺ was very different. Allahu Akbar. Umm Mu'minin Aisha radiyallahu anha relates that once the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa on the day of Eid, he was resting. And there were two young girls playing the duff and singing in the house of Umm Mu'minin Aisha radiyallahu anha. They were young girls. It was the day of Eid. Prophet Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu came. And as soon as he arrived, he saw this scene. The Prophet وسلم, is lying down, resting. Here is Aisha, his daughter radiallahu anha. Here are two young girls playing the duff and singing. Instantly, he objected and said, This, in the presence of the Messenger of Allah, the Prophet said to him, leave them, O Abu Bakr, it's a day of Eid. And then the Prophet ﷺ turned away and faced the other direction. And the ulama explained that that move, those words, this hadith shows, says a lot. The Prophet ﷺ tolerated such celebration and festivity on the day of Eid. In his own household, in his presence, for the benefits of Umm Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha and the young girls. But having said that, he turned away and faced the other direction, i.e. he turned, although he allowed it for others, he in his nobility and majesty, he turned his back to it. It did not befit him. 
it did not behove the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was extremely tolerant and gracious. So on this occasion, Rubiyya bin Muawiyah radiyallahu anha says that these girls were singing in the presence of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam on the day of my marriage. He never said anything to them. He let them carry on. But when they said these words in their poetry, when they sang these words, وَفِينَا نَبِيٌّ يَعْلَمُ مَا فِي غَدٍ That amongst us there is a prophet who knows what there is tomorrow. He instantly spoke up and said, Do not say this. Carry on with what, whatever you were saying before, but do not say this. And in the narration of Ibn Majah of the same hadith, he, the words are, he then said, no one knows what there is tomorrow except Allah. No one knows what there is tomorrow except Allah. So the Prophet ﷺ, the moment someone praised him with words or with qualities and characteristics that he believed did not belong to him, and that did not belong to him, straight away, the Prophet ﷺ objected and corrected them. That was the humility of the Prophet ﷺ in his mind, in his character, in his belief about himself. But how did that humility manifest itself? How did that simplicity manifest itself? It did so in many ways. The way he conducted himself with the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. The way he behaved with them. He was so humble, so simple, it's unbelievable. Abdullah ibn Abi Awfa radiyallahu an relates in a hadith recorded by Imam Nasai in his Sunan. He says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would never disdain, he would never turn up his nose, he would never refuse, even to accompany a widow or a poor person and walk with them until he had fulfilled whatever need they had. So the Prophet ﷺ being the messenger of Allah, he could actually be walking in the streets of Medina, and as other sahaba radiallahu anhum relate, an old widow could actually take him by the hand and lead him away because she needed his help. And the Prophet ﷺ would walk with her. A poor person, a destitute man, could actually, a beggar, could grab the hand of Rasulullah ﷺ, walk with him, lead him away, seek his help, and the Prophet ﷺ would not object. In fact, he would fulfill the wish and the need of this poor beggar before releasing him. That was a humility. Prophet ﷺ would sit with people. Allah, I am quickly mentioning these examples, but in every single one of them there is a lesson for us. We should compare ourselves. All of the examples I've given of the Prophet Wasallam's inner humility, not what he displayed, but what he believed about himself, what he wanted people to believe. Let us contrast that humility with our own belief of ourselves. How do we view ourselves? If someone praises us, do we feel uncomfortable? As the Prophet Wasallam did. Do we long for people to praise us or not? If someone satirizes us, if someone does not supposedly show us respect, as we say, someone disses us, disrespects us, how do we feel? We feel we are deserving of titles, and we are constantly reminding people of these titles. If someone calls us by our first name, we are offended. Unless they are 
familiar family members. But if we have a title, we want to remind people, we put it down on paper, we put it down as our title of address, we constantly remind people. Unless someone's very familiar with us and acquainted to us, it's a common phrase in English. If someone says, uh, if someone is Mr. and the person calls them by their first name, they are reminded, it's Mr. such and such to you. Or Lord such and such to you. And I address myself first. Ulama love to have titles. And when an alim is addressed without his titles, then of course shaitan whispers to him that how why is this person disrespecting you? But titles mean nothing. Anyone can claim a title for themselves. The one who was given titles by Allah, who deserved all the titles, he repeatedly and consistently and continuously emphasized his name without titles, in writing and in speech. Let us contrast our humility with that of the Prophet ﷺ. And speaking of his behavior, which one of us, as Abdullah ibn Abi radiallahu an says, that an old widow, a poor person, could take the hand of the Prophet and lead him away, seeking his help. And the Prophet would not refuse, would not decline. In fact, in fact, he would fulfill that need of the person. How many of us can claim the same? How many? We are always conscious of people addressing us first, giving us salam first. Sometimes we, in our arrogance, we don't give salam. We expect others to give us salam. Sometimes people give salam to us, we don't reply. If someone is inferior in status, in stature, in age, in position, in knowledge, sometimes we think to ourselves that, why should I give salam to them? He should be the first one giving me salam. Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu relates, Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi relates, that Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu was walking, he passed by a group of children, and he said to them, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Then he related, that this is what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would do. The Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, would not disdain from giving salam to anyone, absolutely anyone. In fact, when he, being the noble messenger of Allah, would walk in the streets and there would be groups of children playing, Prophet ﷺ would not even ignore the children, he would actually say salam to the children. That's how he behaved. And when it came to associating with people, who did he associate with? Allahu Akbar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, وَلَا تَطْرُدِ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَذَاتِ وَالْعَشِيِّ يُرِيدُونَ وَجْهَةِ مَا عَلَيْكَ مِنْ حِسَابِهِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ وَمَا مِنْ حِسَابِكَ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَتَطْرُدَهُمْ فَتَكُونَ مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ وَكَذَلِكَ فَتَنَّا بَعْضَهُمْ بِبَعْضٍ لِيَقُولُوا أَهَاؤُلَاءِ Addressing the Prophet 
Allah says, addressing the Messenger وسلم, do not drive away those who call out to their Lord morning and evening, seeking his countenance. You have no responsibility over them, they have no responsibility over you, i.e. their account is not upon you in any way. And your account is not upon them in any way. But if you do drive them away, then you will be of the wrong ones, the wrongdoers. And in this way, we have caused some of them to mislead the others. So that they say, that are these the people whom Allah has favored amongst us? Does Allah not know? Is Allah not the best knower of those who are grateful? The meaning of these verses is as follows. Khabbab ibn al-Arat radiyallahu an himself relates in a hadith recorded by Ibn Majah and as well as others that what had happened and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu separately relates in other books of hadith that what had happened is the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in Mecca the Chieftains of the Quraysh, they wanted to sit with the Prophet ﷺ. But they frowned upon and looked down upon some of the people who surrounded the Prophet ﷺ. And they were Khabbab ibn al-Arat, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Suhaib al-Rumi, Bilal ibn Rabah, and various others. Ammar ibn Yasir. So Khabbab radiyallahu anhu, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu say that these people, these and as well as others, poor Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, they would be seated about around the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Some of the Arab chieftains and the wealthy, the nobility, the rich and the powerful they would come to the Prophet and they would see all these people. So because there was there were social classes in Mecca, the Arabs they felt it beneath them that they should sit in the company of such a riffraff. They they used to regard them as riffraff. So they actually told the Prophet, Oh Muhammad, we are willing to sit with you and listen to you and converse with you. But when we are seated with you, this is a place where people come and go. And people from all over Arabia come here. And if they come here, and they see us seat, sitting with you, we don't mind. As long as you don't have this riffraff with you. For if they see us seated in the same gathering as this riffraff, then they will look down upon us. And we do not wish the Arabs to speak of us in such a manner. So the Prophet ﷺ, in his desire, to invite these people to religion. And in the hope that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they could sit with him any other time. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was inclined to agree with them, that he would sit with them exclusively, and not have these poor Sahaba radiallahu anhum with him. Khabbab ibn al-Arat radiallahu anhum says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually revealed these verses of the Qur'an. وَلَا تَطْرُدِ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِي that do not drive away those who call out to their Lord morning and evening. If 
you and the end of the verse, فَتَطْرُدَهُمْ فَتَكُونَ مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ If you do drive them away, then O Messenger of Allah, you shall be of the wrongdoers. And in this way, the verse continues, we have caused them, i.e. the Quraysh and others, to deceive one another and mislead one another, so that they end up saying, that are these the ones that Allah has bestowed favors upon upon them amongst us? Meaning that if Allah wanted to give the gift of Islam, why didn't He give the gift of Islam to us? We are the powerful, we are the wealthy, the nobility, the rich. We are the honored ones. If Islam is a gift, then why is this gift given to this riffraff and not to us? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, even that is a test in itself. In this way Allah has tested them. Allah, then Allah ends the verse by saying, Does Allah not know who, better who is the most grateful? Allah knows exactly who to give his iman and his faith to. But anyway, the story is that the Sahaba radiallahu anhu be seated around the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was inclined to remove them. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was warned by Allah, do not drive away these companions. So Khabbab radiallahu anhu says that what happened thereafter is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would summon us and allow us to sit with him so close to him that our knees would touch his knees. And these were the poor Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. Khabbab, Ammar ibn Yasir, Bilal ibn Rabah, Suhaib al-Rumi, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. In fact, this was in Mecca, but in Medina. And these were the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum who were punished. They were so poor, so penniless, so powerless, that they were the ones who were preyed upon, taken away individually and tortured. Ammar ibn Yasir, since he was a fam- from a family of freed slaves. His father Yasir, his mother Sumayyah, radiyallahu anhum ajma'een. Since they were a family of mawali, of freed slaves, they were taken away. And all three, father, son and mother, were, were tortured. And eventually father and mother were killed. Bilal ibn Rabah, a former freed slave, was tortured. Khabbab ibn al-Arat radiyallahu was tortured to such a degree that after the hijr, after the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Khabbab ibn al-Arat radiyallahu removed his shirt and showed his back to Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu That giant of a man, when he, that warrior, Umar radiyallahu who had sustained injuries and wounds in battle, when he saw the back of Khabbab ibn al-Arat radiyallahu that warrior giant began weeping and said, By Allah, I have never seen such a back in my life. So that was Khabbab ibn al-Arat radiyallahu Abdullah ibn Suhaib al-Rumi. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu Suhaib al-Rumi again was a man without family. He's famously known as Suhaib the Roman, but as I keep on saying, he wasn't a Roman. He was an Arab. Suhaib radiyallahu anhu was not a Roman. He was an Arab. He was one of the Arabs of the northern Arabian tribes who had been captured, just like Zayd ibn Haritha radiyallahu anhu had been captured. And he had been sold into slavery. But when he was sold into slavery, he wasn't in Mecca. He was sold into slavery 
and he actually grew up amongst one of the rival northern Arabian tribes who were the vassals of the Byzantine Romans. As a result, he grew up amongst Arabs, speaking Arabic, but he grew up in the Greek-Roman culture, the Byzantine culture. Only because of his upbringing in that culture and his familiarity with the language was he called Suhaib al-Rumi. Otherwise he wasn't a Roman, he was a pure-born, he was a pure Arab of Arab race. So Suhaib al-Rumi radiallahu anhu, another slave, former slave, and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, the one who suffered beatings at the hands of the Quraysh. These were the people picked on, beaten, tortured, whipped, lashed, their family members murdered. They were considered worthless, penniless, destitute, powerless. They were the ones that the Quraysh trampled on. And can you imagine the Prophet ﷺ sat with them? And they were, they were so badly tortured, so badly mistreated, so badly treated, so, so ill-treated, that after the Hijrah, not in the first or second year, but in the seventh year of Hijrah, they still hadn't forgotten their wounds. So once Abu Sufyan, he came to ratify the treaty of Hudaybiyah, and he came to Medina, and he was walking in Medina, and the same group of Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, Suhaib al-Rumi, Khabbab ibn al-Arat, Bilal ibn Rabah, and Ammar ibn Yasir were all seated. So when they were seated, they saw Abu Sufyan, because they were best friends. They saw Abu Sufyan, and in their anger, he was with Abu Bakr radiyallahu and in their anger, because of all that they had suffered, they spoke up and they said, it seems as though the swords of Allah have not yet found their place in the enemies of Allah. Referring to Abu Sufyan. So Abu Bakr radiyallahu and he was a nobleman of the Quraysh. He recognized the position of Abu Sufyan and he knew that he, he, he had... Cut, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was familiar with the protocols of diplomacy. And Abu Sufyan was ultimately a diplomat. He was the leader of the Quraysh who had come to ratify the treaty. So he scolded the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. <coughs> These, Khabbab, Ammar, Suhaib, Bilal, he scolded them. And he said to them, Is this what you say to the leader of the Quraysh and their master? So they fell silent. Somehow, word, I think one of the, some of them, they complained to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Yes, they went to complain to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and they said, this is what Abu Bakr has said to us. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa summoned Abu Bakr. And he said, oh Abu Bakr, do not speak to them in such a manner. For if you do, you will anger them. If you anger them, you will anger Allah. So these were the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Allah loves the simple. And He commanded the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to sit with the simple. Allah loves the simple. He commanded the Messenger of Allah to sit with the simple, to keep the company of the simple. And that's why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Khabbab radiallahu anhu says that he would then sit with us so close that our knees would be next to his knees. But then what would happen is that he would remain seated with us, we would enjoy his company, but then after a while, the Prophet ﷺ, when he needed to go, he would rise and leave. 
and we would desire to remain seated with him for longer. So Allah actually revealed verses of the Quran to him. Wasbir nafsaka ma'alladheena yad'oona rabbahum bil ghadati wal ashi. Yuriduna wajha. Verse of Surah Al-Kahf. Wala ta'adu aynaka anhum turidu zeelat al-hayat al-dunya. Wala tuti'am managhfalna qalbahu an dhikrina wa attab'a hawaah wa kana amruhu furta. Allah says that, O oh Messenger of Allah, keep yourself patiently seated with those who call out to their Lord morning and evening, seeking his countenance. وَلَا تَعْدُ عَيْنَاكَ عَنْهُمْ And do not let your gaze go beyond them. Do not let your gaze go beyond these people. So Khabab radiallahu anhu says, after that verse, what would happen is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would sit with us, our knees would be touching his knees, he would not rise until we rose. When we finish speaking to him, for as long as we want to sit with him, we would then rise and go, and the Prophet ﷺ would stand up after us. These were the simple folk. And Abu Sa'id al-Khudri himself relates again, in a hadith recorded by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, he says, once we were seated outside the masjid of Rasulullah ﷺ, this was a large group of emigrants, Sahaba, the muhajirun, the poor ones. So we were seated. A qari was reciting the Qur'an in that group. And we were all silently seated listening to him. We were so poor that some of us had only one cloth to cover himself in that group. And some of us, because of the lack of clothing, they were huddling up to each other so that their clothes would mask their privacy. We were seated listening to the Qur'an when the Prophet ﷺ emerged and he came to us and stood at the edge of the group. When he stood at the edge of the group and greeted us, the Qari who was reciting the Qur'an, he suddenly stopped. So the Prophet ﷺ said to us, what were you doing? So we said, O Messenger of Allah, we were simply seated listening to the Qari reciting the Qur'an. So the Prophet ﷺ then said, and listened to his words, He said, all praise be to that Allah who has made amongst my ummah and my companions those whom he has commanded me to patiently be seated with. And then he sat down amongst them. Abu Sa'id radiallahu anhu says, he sat in such a way that he sat in the middle of us making himself equal to us. And then he did this with his arms. So we all huddled up close to him in a circle. And then the Prophet ﷺ addressing us, he said to us, he said, O oh, assembly of the poor emigrants, receive my glad tidings of total and complete nur and light on the day of resurrection, and that you shall enter Jannah 500 years before the rich. But the main part of the story is, he said, all praise be to Allah who has commanded me to remain patiently seated amongst such people of my ummah. And then he humbly sat down amongst them, amongst the poor. That's how he was. This was a company he loved. I remember my father, rahmatullahi alayhi, he, one of, the, one of his unique qualities was, he was a, he was a very intelligent, highly intelligent, extremely learned alim of deen. 
And I don't say this as my father. My father's teachers have given such a testimony. His companions, his colleagues have given such a testimony. And that if my father had wished, he could have been the most senior shaykh and teacher of Qur'an and hadith or fiqh in any madrasa anywhere. And this is a testimony of his own class fellows. But my father in his simplicity, he concealed himself. And one of his unique qualities was, indeed as part of the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would sit with anyone. And I being his eldest son, sometimes I would go past and I would see him and he would in a way hurt me as a son. Because there would be my father seated on a bench outside the masjid in any one of the streets, in the park. And who would be seated around him? Not ulama, not students, but individuals who are just simple everyday folk. In fact, such individuals who would not find friendship and company with anyone else, they would be seated around my father. And as a son, it would hurt me momentarily that I wish my father would be in a more noble position, i.e. seated somewhere surrounded by scholars and students, as befits his position. But instantly then I would remind myself that subhanAllah, this is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. For Allah chose simple people to surround the messenger. Khabbab, Ammar, Suhaib, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Bilal ibn Rabah and others. And Allah said of them, وَلَا تَطْرُدِ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِي Do not drive them away. وَاصْبِرْ نَفْسَكْ مَعَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِي And remain patiently seated with those who call out to their Lord morning and evening. This was the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that's how he was with the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. In his gait, in his eating, in his mannerisms, in his life at home. The simplicity of the Messenger وسلم, knew no bounds. Today when we travel, how do we travel? A leader, a leader, a king, a monarch. Leave their examples. We as normal people, we like to travel in glory. The best of cars, the best of transport. We can't get it, but if we could, we would love to have a convoy and an entourage. And he was a messenger of Allah, and how would he travel? Allahu Akbar. Buraidah radiallahu anhu relates a hadith, recorded by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, that once the Prophet wasallam was walking in Medina, and a companion saw him walking, and he was riding on a donkey. So he came up to the Prophet ﷺ, and then he shifted his place on the donkey and moved back. And he said to the Prophet ﷺ, O Messenger of Allah, climb on the donkey and ride. So he motioned him to climb to the front of the donkey. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, that you are more deserving of the front of your animal than I am. 
it's considered a seat of honour. It's different cultures. In some cultures, when people are chauffeured, they are chauffeured in the back of the car. So many of these luxury cars, they have a long wheelbase because the chauffeured individual is not seated, is not driving, and is not the main passenger, he's seated at the back with all the comforts and the luxuries. So in many cultures, people are chauffeured at the back, that's the seat of honour. But in some cultures, the seat of honour is not at the back even today. In cars, it's at the front. So it's, it's always considered the fact that if you carry a guest of honour, make sure you, play, you seat them in the seat of honour, either at the front or at the back. So the Prophet ﷺ, the companion shifted backwards and vacated the front spot on the donkey. On a donkey. Not a magnificent horse or a proud camel, but a donkey. And he said to the Prophet ﷺ, O oh Messenger of Allah, climb onto the donkey. The Prophet ﷺ did not, Allah, but he did not disdain traveling on a donkey. He did not think it's better to continue walking. The Prophet ﷺ said, You are more deserving of the front seat. Unless you give it to me. So the companion said, I have given it to your Messenger of Allah. So the Prophet ﷺ climbed onto the front of the donkey and rode pillion, or the other companion rode pillion with him on the donkey. He would walk. And if someone gave him a ride, it would be on a donkey. It didn't matter. He rode on a donkey, he rode on a mule, he rode on a horse, he rode on a camel. For him it was a mode of transport. And he would walk. And not only that, Mu'adh radiyallahu an, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal relates a hadith, another hadith in his Muslim, Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu an, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam dispatched him to Yemen. So when he dispatched him to Yemen, imagine the scene. He is sending Mu'adh radiyallahu an to Yemen as a teacher, as, a, as an ambassador. And as he is bidding him farewell, the Prophet ﷺ did not dismiss him with a wave of the hand from his seat in the masjid. That you are an ambassador, go depart. No. The Prophet ﷺ accompanied him for a long while. Whilst Mu'adh was riding out. And do you know how he accompanied him? Mu'adh he himself relates this hadith. He was riding. He was riding. And the Prophet ﷺ was walking on the ground next to him. Beneath his ride. And looking up and speaking to Mu'adh Then he said to Mu'adh O oh Mu'adh. This was later in his life. He said, O oh Mu'adh. It is highly possible that after this year you will not see me again. Or that if you come... You will pass by my masjid or you will pass by my grave. So Mu'adh radiallahu burst out weeping. Burst into tears. But the moral of the story is the simplicity of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Mu'adh radiallahu was riding. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam accompanied him on foot in order to bid him farewell. No, he wasn't pretentious in the least. No airs and graces. Simple, humble. In his walking. I speak about, he never had a convoy. He never had an entourage. Abdullah ibn Amr radiallahu anhu relates in a hadith recorded by Imam Abu Dawood in his son. And he says, مَا رُؤِيَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ 
يأكل متكئا قط ولا يطأ عقبه رجلان Never was the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam seen to be eating reclining. And never were two men ever following in his footsteps. I.e., we can imagine a leader. In fact, normal people, we love to have our little entourage. We feel important if one person is walking with us, or we have a gang walking with us, or a group walking with us. And even teachers, people opening doors and picking up shoes and following in their footsteps. Allahu Akbar. The Prophet ﷺ, Abdullah ibn Amr anhu says, never would you find two people walking behind him. When the Sahaba anhum would walk with him, what would he do? Jabir anhu relates the hadith in the Muslim of Ahmed ibn Hanbal, he says, <coughs> when people would be with the Prophet ﷺ, they would walk in front of him and they would leave his rear for the angels. And in the hadith related by Hakim, the Prophet ﷺ actually said, when you walk, walk in front of me, and leave my rear for the angels. Why? As Allah says in Surah Al-Tahreem, وَالْمَلَائِكَةُ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ ظَهِيرٌ And the angels are standing in guard behind him. So the Sahaba would actually leave the rear of the Prophet ﷺ for the angels. And the they would occupy the front, they would walk in front of him. He didn't mind. He didn't want to be walking in front and others behind him. No, Prophet would actually tell them, you walk in front. That's if they were with him. Otherwise, he would walk alone. He wanted no convoy, he wanted no entourage. He wanted no huge company. That was a messenger of Allah. In his walking, in his eating, he ate simply. Never would two coloured dishes, i.e. in the sense that two whole meals of two different dishes, ever find their place on the table and the spread of Rasulullah wasallam. He ate humbly, he ate in a humble manner. The tradition was, especially with the Sasanid Persians and the Byzantine Romans, their culture affected the culture of the Arabs. The Arabs didn't have that economic or military might as these empires did. And they were of the desert. As a result, a lot of their culture in terms of diet, dress, cuisine. They had their own cuisine, of course, but uh, a lot of their diet, dress, fashion sense, etc. All of this was affected by the Sasanid Persian culture and the Byzantine Roman culture. And part of that culture in those days was that how would people eat? They would eat surrounded by cushions, reclining on cushions, either completely reclining on one arm, one elbow, seated in a very luxurious manner, and that's how they would feast and dine. These were normal people. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, be even the Arab, even the Bedouins, how in their tents they would be surrounded by cushions and they would eat, albeit on the floor, but reclining on couches, on cushions. So Abdullah ibn Amr radiallahu anhu says, never was the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam seen eating, reclining, reclining on anything. He wouldn't recline against the wall, he wouldn't recline to one side, he wouldn't recline on any couch or cushion. He would eat simply. And in fact, in a hadith related by Abdullah ibn Busr radiallahu anhu, it's remarkable. He says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 
He says, once I gave a goat as a gift to the Messenger of Allah. So the Prophet ﷺ sat down to eat. And he sat down to eat, not a snack, but he sat down to eat to a feast of a cooked goat. That was a special occasion. So how did he sit? The Prophet ﷺ sat on his knees, i.e., you know the way we sit in tashahud in salah. So the forelegs beneath our thighs, the way we sit in salah, in tashahud. So he sat on his knees in that manner, and he leant forward, and he began eating. So a Bedouin was present, and he was accustomed to even the Bedouin eating in a fashionable manner. So he said, مَا هَذِهِ الْجِلْسَةِ He said, what kind of sitting is this? So the Prophet ﷺ's reply was, إِنَّ اللَّهَ جَعَلَنِي عَبْدًا كَرِيمًا وَلَمْ يَجْعَلْنِي جَبَّارًا عَنِيدًا he said, indeed, Allah has made me a noble servant and slave. He has not made me a, an arrogant tyrant. That is the sunnah manner of eating. That is how the Prophet ate. The way he ate was simple. The way he talked, the way he spoke, the way he carried himself, the way he walked, the way he rode. Anas ibn Malik was very close to him since he was one of his his page boy. And his humility was such. That Anas ibn Malik was gifted to the Prophet by his mother Umm Sulaim as a page boy and an attendant, an errand boy. How did the Prophet treat him? With arrogance? She gave him as a servant at the age of eight or ten. Anas radiallahu anhu says in a hadith related by Bukhari and others, for 10 years I served the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And in 10 years, never did he once say oof to me. Oof. Oof is oof. So, oof. That is oof. Never once did he say oof to me, even though he was a child. Never once did he ask me, why didn't I do something when I should have done it? Never once did he say to me, why did you do something when I shouldn't have done it? Allahu Akbar. In ten years. So he was very close to him. Anas ibn Malik radiallahu describes the habits of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. How he was. As I related earlier, he would give salam to children. Anas radiallahu anhu relates that famous hadith about the woman Prophet ﷺ passed by a woman who was kneeling before a grave. She was weeping. Her family member had died. She, she was grieving, she was weeping. So the Prophet ﷺ passed by her and said to her, Fear Allah and be patient. So in her grief, she never recognized him. So she turned to him and she said to him, Ilayk anni. Away with you, for you have not been struck by my calamity and misfortune. You have not suffered the way I have suffered. So away with you. Prophet ﷺ carried on. Later people told her that was a messenger of Allah. So she came to the house. And the words of Anas says, When she came to the house, she did not find any doormen there. There were no guards. There were no doormen. She called for the messenger, he emerged. And she said to him, O messenger of Allah, forgive me, I did not recognize you. So the Prophet ﷺ said to her, إِنَّمَا الصَّبْرُ عِنْدَ الصَّدْمَةِ الْأُولَى That patience 
is at the first shock. So that was the Prophet ﷺ. No doormen, no guards, nothing. He would speak to children. Anas says that the Prophet ﷺ, when someone would meet him, Imam Tirmidhi relates this hadith, when someone would meet him, the Prophet ﷺ would not withdraw his hands until the other person had withdrawn his hands first, when he greeted them. Nor would the Prophet ﷺ, when someone would speak to him, he would speak to him facing him. So he would never speak from the side. In fact, the Qur'an says that's a sign of arrogance. وَلَا تُسَعِرْ خَدَّكَ لِلنَّاسِ That do not turn your cheek away in arrogance from the people. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he spoke to someone, he would face them. And not only that, Anas says, the Prophet ﷺ would not turn away until the other person turned away. That was his simplicity, that was his humility. And never, in the same hadith he says, never would the Prophet ﷺ allow his knees to protrude beyond anyone else's needs, knees while seated amongst his companions. That means that if he was seated in a line, then the most important person is protruding from the line so that everyone can see him. But the Prophet ﷺ, he would sit in line with the other companions and make sure that his knees were not protruding beyond the line of knees of the other companions. He was so conscious of that. And one interpretation of this is that he would not extend his legs towards anyone. He was the messenger of Allah, and yet he would sit humbly before the people. In another hadith, again related by Imam Tirmidhi, Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu knew him closely, said the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He would ride a donkey. He would visit the sick. He would attend. He would attend funerals. He would do all of these things. Prophet ﷺ did not disdain riding a donkey. He would regularly go to funerals. He would regularly visit the sick, visit the ill. And one more thing, Anas says in this hadith, the fourth characteristic. He says, the Prophet ﷺ would accept the da'wah and the invitation of even a slave. It wasn't the case that only the rich and powerful and mighty would have their invitations accepted. A simple slave could invite the Messenger of Allah and he would go to him. And I end with just one hadith of Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha. She was the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Anas radiallahu anhu was his page boy and attendant. But even he did not know him as well as Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha knew him. And how does she describe him? Imam Bukhari relates a hadith from Aisha radiallahu anha in which she was asked by someone that what would the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam do in the privacy of his home? Beautiful question. What would the Messenger of Allah do when he closed the doors to the public and he was in the privacy of his home? So Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha relates this hadith in Bukhari and this same hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad as well as others. So the information I give is a combination of all of these hadith. Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the privacy of his home, he would be engaged in the service of his family. In looking after his family. 
Then when salah time would arrive, he would leave and go for salah. And in other hadith, other narrations of the same hadith, she says, he would do what men do. These are her words. He would do what men do in their homes. And she elaborates, what would the Messenger ﷺ do? And this is, a, in here is a lesson for us, for us men. We consider it's beneath us to do housework. If we ever hear of someone doing housework, washing the dishes, vacuuming, cleaning up, then we snigger, we smirk, we grin, we turn away. Allahu Akbar. This was a messenger of Allah, the greatest man of men, more manly than any man could ever hope to be. And yet Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha says, when he was in the privacy of his home, he would serve his family. He would be in the service of his family. And what service? She goes on to explain. She says he would do what men do in their homes. He would milk the goat with his own hands. He would repair his sandals. He would stitch his clothes. He would delouse his clothes. He would remove lice from his clothes. He would do all of these things. He would serve his family. That was a messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. His simplicity, his humility, even in the privacy of his home. One could go on, Allahu Akbar, it's quite late. I suffice with this. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to follow in the footsteps of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I pray that Allah blesses us with even a share of the humility, the tawadu and the simplicity of the noble messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. For as we learnt in the previous speech, he who humbles himself and is simple for the sake of Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will elevate him. But he who is arrogant, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will base and humiliate him. And the greatest example of simplicity and humility for us is that of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulih nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiru wa natubu ilayk.